0: Welcome to The Burner, where I discuss all things agile with colleagues, clients and industry leaders. We will be giving you an honest take on tools and techniques, we'll share our experiences, debunk myths, and hopefully provide valuable inspiration. I'm Marcel Bridge, digital consultant, product owner and business analyst. I've worked in digital before this even had a name and since have been quite a bit around the block. I've seen the good and the bad and this is my way of giving back to the industry. So sit back, relax, and settle in for this week's episode. Welcome to The Burner. Today, I'm very excited to be chatting with my friend Michael Frick about the Chinese cybersecurity regime and what it means for doing business in China. While this sounds really boring, it is in fact a very exciting and to a degree fun and entertaining topic. It's also highly relevant for anyone doing business in China, but also anyone being in IT. We've known each other for quite some time. And I think very randomly, right? You you knew someone in a flat chair where Isabel, my at the time girlfriend and now wife, used to live. And I think you just hang out there from time to time. And this was when, like 20 years ago? Uh, at least, <laughs> um, and then obviously since then you've been uh, studying, doing a PhD, and now you no longer live in Stuttgart but in Zurich, and you're kind of have become a specialist in cybersecurity. So, do you want to just for the listeners introduce yourself a little bit, like what you do, how you got there, what you're up to, and and why this book?
1: Well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me. Totally. Marcel. It's really great, and I really appreciate your interest in my book and in this subject—the subject, this subject uh, cybersecurity in China, which just because of uh, China's enormous uh, GDP is probably going to influence the the whole world. I mean, they've they've surpassed um, the UK in two thousand and six, and now they are catching up uh, with the US, and um, of course, their sheer economic power is going to influence how we gonna regulate, regulate our cyberspace. And what's also important, 20% of the world internet population is uh, Chinese. So that's just a massive uh, junk there. And uh, I'm sure what happens there is gonna affect us. And so it's a good thing to be aware of what is going on there, especially regarding cybersecurity and and these issues.
0: I think that's a really interesting thing, because I think we sometimes think, oh, it's just one country. And it's not that, right? It's very different scale. And the, the sheer size makes this a very different thing. As you say, I think it's not only about doing business there. I think it's also how what they do in generally like in technology, but also in regulation, how that will affect the world, I think.
1: Absolutely. And there are really drastic uh, differences, you know, that are influenced by history, influenced by Chinese culture, influenced by uh, the existing power relations regarding, uh, you know, this um, one party, all encompassing uh, leader, leadership system. That's definitely a whole different context. And this context affects uh, Um, cyber regulation.
0: I want to hear a little bit more about this in a minute, but just before we go there, just tell us, tell me a little bit, like why did you end up specializing on this specific topic?
1: Well, to be honest, when I was a high school student, I spent one year in in the U.S. and I thought I was going to New York or Los Angeles or somewhere, you know, where it's at, where there's something happening. And I ended up in (laughs) Iowa and I always thought, well, the next choice that i make i have to go somewhere where um, you know i want to stand on top of the volcano i want to be somewhere where where things are happening where the future of the world is is shaped and um, and china is definitely that place and when i started china had uh, the size the economic size of the netherlands so uh, i would have never expected um, to be part of this Chinese path to becoming almost uh, the world's largest uh, economy, and this whole process was, I think, very rewarding and very um, interesting to follow.
0: Interesting, and and your background is obviously you have a master's. No, sorry, a PhD in economics from Mannheim University, if I've got that right, and then correct me, a master's in Sinology from Heidelberg. Exactly,
1: Uh, I have a. Uh, Master's degree in Sinology in modern Synology, um, where I focused on uh, stock market regulation. But of course, I also have a very general background with uh, classical uh, Chinese and uh, a lot of um, uh, modern uh, language studies. And uh, throughout this, I focused on economic development, uh, industrialization processes in, in China, uh, which actually just started in the, in the 60s, and uh, also party influence, uh, government interference in economic processes. That was the main focus area of my studies there. And I also have a, um, a PhD in, uh, in economics, so business economics, and I studied uh, business with a strong focus on, on finance and econometrics.
0: For me, this was interesting that you're writing this book because I haven't seen a similar book about cyber regulation in Germany or cyber regulation in the UK. Now, we all have GDPR and, and whatever they are called, these regulations, but no one would be writing a book like this about Germany or the UK. Why is China different or what makes this different?
1: I started writing it uh, five years ago. And back then, I already thought that's really going to be big. I mean, cyberspace is becoming more and more important. We spend uh, around 25 hours a week on the Internet. So that's the space where we live. Yeah, much of the time when we are awake, we we, we spend in cyberspace. And the Chinese do that even more. You know, they spend 28 hours uh, a week. And, of course, uh, that space needs to be regulated. There's no question about it. The question is only how are we going to, going to regulate it? And China has really taken the lead there and was really fast in, in bringing out these uh, regulations. Uh, just as an example, five years ago when I started, there was not one law Specifically focusing on cyberspace. And now we've got the cybersecurity law that, um, has been live for about five years. And we have the personal information protection law. We have the data security law. We have the cryptography law, um, an e-commerce law. So there's so many regulations have been issued over the last couple of years. I also have to say it surprised me that it, uh, that this regular regime expanded at the, at such breakneck speed. Yeah. And we are not only talking about laws. I mean, the laws are mostly fairly short. There are only maybe 40 articles in such, inside such a law. There are a lot of administrative uh, regulations that uh, flesh out these laws. The, you have, uh, I don't know, hundreds of standards. There are, Only cryptography standards, there are about 100. So I also have a a figure in my book where you can see how, for example, cybersecurity standards have increased. And here, to dive deeper into the specifics of China, when I talk about standards, I don't always mean technical standards. A lot of standards in China are more like administrative regulations. They flesh out these lists of desiderata that you find within the,
0: the laws. When you say cyberspace, you basically mean effectively anything in the digital world, right? This is about data, about how you build things, about how they're used, what you can do with them. So it's, it's, it's very holistic, right? It's uh,
1: networks, information systems, it's uh, data governance, it's uh, infrastructure, yeah, and how you uh, regulate that. So it covers a wide range of, of uh, issues related uh, to cyberspace. Yeah. It also, for example, uh, is concerned with how you, um, for example, with minors, how you treat them online. You know how what special um, um, needs they have and how they should be uh, online should be considered. Yeah. So it's such a wide range of topic. It's also. Online information content
0: management, what we would call censorship, it's a huge range of topics. So comparing this to the West, it's been argued by some in the industry that we're far too light on IT-related regulation and forced standards. Um, yes, there are regulations for data and for consumer protection or you know, regulations in the financial sector. So if you uh, handle credit card details, you have to pass PCI DSS compliance, but it's still I thought we were quite light. Um, Generally, software companies can get away with murder, really. So is it a fair assessment to say that China, ignoring the fact that a lot of these regulations are ideologically driven, and one might feel ethically different ways about that, that they are more forward-looking and faster-acting than the West?
1: Yeah, and they are um, putting in... New regulations in in very within very short timeframes. And these new regulations are often reactions to the latest technological developments, for example, right. Uh, and some of these uh, regulations really make sense. I can give you one example uh-huh. there. Uh, there's the personal information protection law, for example, which just uh, went uh, live last year. And in there, there's, for example, there's some articles that focus on price discrimination. You know, big data based price discrimination, Uh which basically means, okay, Marcel, we know a lot about him. We have a lot of data about him. So I think for that product, he's going to pay that price. And Michael, he's the poorer guy. So we make half the price. (laughs) So (laughs) they try to, you know, discriminate based on uh, that's that's what companies can do with uh, big data applications. And that is ruled illegal Uh. in this Uh, personal information protection law. And so there are some really useful things there that we can learn from. But there are also a lot of things, especially when we talk about cryptography, um, that are highly questionable from from our standards. Uh, So you have to take a very differentiated approach to
0: cyber regulation in China. Is there a single thing you can say, if, if I want to do business in China, what's the biggest difference in terms of the topic you are thinking or writing about in terms of doing business anywhere else in the world?
1: Well, of course, you have to uh, comply with uh, the rules there, which is probably just like in any other market. And it's uh, feasible to um, comply with the Chinese rules. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. There might be a new trade war or, or something. And then these rules have plenty of room for adaptation and interpretation that you could use them in such a trade war, for example. Or you can use them for protection. You can use them as incentives to invest in China. It depends on how you interpret them. And that's one of the characteristics when you look at China and how they view the rule of law is that they have a preference for vague articles so that they still have room for adaptation and interpretation. And so... If you really want to know what the implications are of Chinese cyber policy, then you have to focus on the implementation practices more, sometimes more than focusing on the rules and, you know, translating them well. And then because they leave plenty of room for interpretation, Mm. I can give you an, an example, for example, national security that's a term that allows you to do a lot of things. And I don't really know when national security is affected. And that can be interpreted in in a very narrow sense or in a very broad sense. Yeah. And you can make very educated guesses about Chinese uh, cyber regulation. It's how it's going to f- affect you in the long run, but you never know what kind of uh, black swan event or what kind of um, conflict maybe with the West or what new, yeah, new things that, that could maybe screw up your um, compliance strategy
0: that you have in place, however, that you had in place for for quite a while. Speaking about the book with you before, you put quite a lot of effort in into translating a lot of that stuff yourself, and I think that's what makes this also a really good read because it's not you copy and pasting from someone else. You were you you really went to town there. Was there something where you felt? This made a big difference or why did you go down to that level? Why did you not just take existing translations and and just summarize?
1: Well, there are much more translations out there right now than when I started writing about this stuff. I mean, right now, for most uh, laws, for example, you have uh, several translations. And there is always, you know, translation can never be 100%. Usually, for me, it's twice the work when there's a translation out there because I have to read the original anyway. Right. And uh, then I have to check how the translation is. And even, especially if when you take the official translations and of course the most important laws and so so on they have translations uh, many standards or or what just came out recently doesn't have translations there are people for example at stanford that translate all the time and they are very quick in translating these things but i mean if you really want to get a deep understanding you have yeah you have to read the original there's no uh, way around it and even if you take the official translations by the uh, Chinese government there are several shortcomings in these uh, translations um, I also talk about that in my book I give some examples uh, where there are omissions for example in this whole translation issue is um, complicated
0: the book's quite chunky so you have obviously looked at various different aspects and things talk to me about you know what what is in the book uh, how did you structure it and why did you go about this this way and Maybe also a little bit about, like, who's the book for? Like, why, would I, why should someone read that book and who's, who's your target audience? Is it academics or is it business people and or both?
1: Well, it's, I think it's more for business people. I also make recommendations. And um, what is really important and what makes the book so chunky, as you've just said, is that to my mind, it's really important to understand Cyber regulation from an inside China perspective. Right. I mean, some people go about understanding uh, the characteristics of China by comparing, for example. I mean, comparing is very important, comparing GDP to personal information protection regulations in China, that's very important and that has to be done. But it will, it will only give you a very limited understanding. You really need to know how this evolved, how the Chinese organized themselves, what what is their modus operandi. And if you know that, you will develop a much better understanding For uh, cyber regulation and what's uh, going to happen, you know, for the context of your business and how to react or how to adapt to this uh, context.
0: Are you saying in your book you are giving that context in each, in the various chapters?
1: Yes. Actually, I'm also, talking a bit about confucius but that doesn't mean that i have a, a, a timeline that goes all that uh, so far back and i don't explain all the details but i think there are some <laughs> very important yeah characteristics that uh, are culturally uh, rooted for example the yeah the, the strong chinese hierarchies the um, centralized decision making the the interconnectedness or how the, how that they value being interconnected, maybe their focus on on the collective, uh, their holistic thinking—all these uh, issues play into um, the context that Western companies are faced with in in China.
0: Mm, that, yeah, I think we sometimes miss that that it's there are these nuances and these differences that are maybe. More different than like between the UK and the US and Germany or France, and and you need to understand have that context to really do well in in, in interpreting that those regulations. Um, Talk me a little bit through the through the chapters in your book. Like what what are the topics you cover?
1: I start by um, giving context, uh, some historic context. I also um, talk about the to- technologies, you know, what technologies are uh, defining this new industry 4.0 era, you know, like cyber physical systems and um, IoT and um, yeah, artificial intelligence, all of these are topics in these regulations so it's also important to uh, know what uh, kind of technologies uh, we we talk about and their reactions to how these technologies are used and what new challenges they pose within these uh, documents then also some infrastructural issues for example i described the submarine cable projects uh, how china is interconnected uh, with the world For example, the U.S. is getting more and more suspicious regarding corporations in that sector. And for example, Facebook just recently had to um, refrain from uh, landing in in Hong Kong, um, or at least they couldn't use parts of their submarine cable that directly connect them to Hong Kong so they can only connect to maybe uh, Japan and the Philippines. And these are all issues that are important for cyberspace. So I I give a a broad assessment of uh, what's around uh, these regulations and what what motivates uh, some of these uh, regulations. But then I go into details of China's cybersecurity regime. And there I divide the regime into seven subsystems. Uh, And then I talk about each of these systems uh, separately. And I start with online information content management, which is basically censorship, because to my mind, this cybersecurity regime sort of derives from uh, censorship. I think this is what uh, was the starting point in the mid of the 1990s, when a- approximately 200,000 Chinese people were online, <laughs> so such a <laughs> yeah. very small online community, and then they started to to limit unfettered access to to Western sources. Uh, by, for example, licensing um, internet service providers. and uh, Right. And uh, this is sort of where it starts, and that's also where I start my um,
0: analysis of the cybersecurity regime. Censorship is an interesting one, I think. China gets a lot of shit for some of the things they're doing. In many cases, I think that's correct. However, as you say, it's also more nuanced. And you and I we spoke about this when we... Chatted initially about the podcast, and we said let's just present this as to what it is. Um, but you made this good point that any organization or any company that deals in China will have to make a judgment call on what acting in China means for them and what it means in light of their mission, their culture, and their values. And then, am I right in saying that then in in each chapter you so you give the context, you explain the regulation, but you also give practical advice for businesses on what they need to do to comply or how to go about it? Or how, how far do you go down? How, how much of a um, an, a guide or a manual is, is your book?
1: Well, I just make like bullet points, what is important or how you can comply. You know, you should not just look at the regulations They're Well, to my mind, simple truths that I, of course, um, uh, try to bring across to, to the reader, Uh, that you have to also consider recommendations. That's something very China-specific that we don't have in the West. For example, national standards that are only recommended, they can be de facto mandatory. (laughs) Uh, That's something that we really... I mean, to be honest, most of uh, the national standards are only recommended. You know, there are many reasons um, for that. It's much more easier to bring a recommended standard through the um, the release process than uh, wow. a mandatory standard. And it also preempts complaints by the U.S. and the WTO. So they say that's just recommended. So, you know, but it, it, the, the fact is that the procurement uh, departments, they usually require these recommendations. And it's often the case that... Um, that drafts, for example, that haven't been issued yet, they can also play a very important role. And sometimes, uh, a rule is issued after you know some issue happened, and then you get judged by this new rule. I can give you an example for that. Uh, that's the the DD IPO in in New York. Uh, I think it was last year. Uh, DD is the is China's ride hailing giant. That's kind of the the Uber. The Uber uh, company of China. So, um, and they um, had their IPO in in the US. And um, I think it was a $5 billion, almost $5 billion IPO. And the Chinese were very concerned about the data, the data that has to be transferred in the process of this IPO you know because there are american agencies if you want to list on the american stock exchange yeah you have to com- you have to cooperate with these regulatory agencies and the politicians were questioning this ipo and then uh, after this IPO, they, they uh, issued a new regulation that says when you uh, make APOs in foreign countries, you need to first go through a, a very extensive review process. So they started this review afterwards. And, you know, such a review can be sort of a, a punishment. In addition to that, uh, they also took down some, some apps and so on. I mean, that's the what was discussed Last year, as the sort of crackdown on, on Chinese IT giants, because, you know, uh, politicians and, though, and managers, they don't always share the same interest. And um, the Chinese politicians make it very clear that their interests reign supreme, so to speak.
0: I'm maybe getting a bit sidetracked. But can we talk about network operators for a second? When you and I chatted earlier, I found this to be quite a good example of the extent and the complexities of cyber regulations in China.
1: Well, network operator is one of the key terms that is sprinkled throughout many regulations and laws um, focusing on on cyberspace. And um, so it's important to know what a network operator actually is. And um, well, everyone, almost every company is a, a network operator and Net, this term covers all networks um, except for those that are built or self-built uh, for use by either individuals or families so everything beyond that is our uh, networks that are mm, subject to these laws and regulations so the yeah this this whole cybersecurity regime has implications for almost every company because they are all labeled or can be labeled as network operators and so they have to comply with a host of uh, of uh, cybersecurity um, re- requirements uh, a host of uh, compliance requirements and what's important there is that these networks are being differentiated you 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 need to uh, classify your, your network. There are actually five classifications. There are as, uh, as sensitivity classifications. The first two levels are are those that have not that many uh, compliance requirements. But as soon as you come to level three, four, or five, then you uh, have to comply with much more demanding cybersecurity uh, requirements. And level three, four, and five networks they um, are those that are somewhat related to national security that's uh, the difference so there's a real jump uh, between level two and level three Uh, that's uh, they are known to really broadly define this concept of uh, national security i can give you one example from level three on up because we were talking about censorship earlier from level three on up uh, you need to be able to uh, identify fake network nodes, for example. So mm. that basically means uh, VPN proxies and so on, and need to f- be able to filter out information information that comes from such
0: no- uh, nodes. Well, in the UK, with certain regulations and authorities that enforce, say, the ICO enforcing compliance with the Data Protection Act two thousand eighteen GDPR now post Brexit having been rolled into that, a lot of this guidance is is, is after the fact. So someone complains about you mishandling data or not acting on a data breach, then the ICO steps in and gives you a spanking. However, even then, there are many fields where you can, for now, do kind of whatever you like. For instance, there is literally no regulation when it comes to blockchain or cryptocurrencies. It again seems to me that China is far more proactive here, Um, which also means then that there are more hoops for companies to jump through. Um, am, Am I right?
1: Yeah, but it's not very uh, standardized. It's, um, they don't have, uh, you know, standards in, in place that guide you through that process. They just say you have to register. Otherwise you can't. You need a business license and then you have to go through a review process. And what takes place within this review process and how you then, yeah, successfully Go through that review. You, you usually don't really know that. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you also don't know what um, institutions are going to be checking uh, you. I mean, you can make a guess, you know, for example, when you offer a non-bank payment system, then probably besides the standard agencies, you're also going to have the People's Bank of China check uh, what you're doing. Right. When you want to, I don't know, make an IPO uh when you have a file sharing platform the copyright administration is probably going to be involved so it depends on on what business you are in and uh, china has plenty of agencies uh, sometimes these uh, regulations are issued by 12 or 13 agencies and
0: they are they are all involved right so how do as a business if i want to do business in china how do i navigate that how do i know
1: na- <laughs> you know most of the companies they don't do s- such complicated things. You know, usually it's just get your CCC um, label and which is the equivalent to UK Conformity Assessed. That's uh, sort of the equivalent to the European CE label. And then in China you have the CCC label and there are standard processes to get this. And it's not such a difficult process. I don't want companies to be afraid of entering the, the Chinese market. But, you know, as a general rule, as soon as some agency believes that what you do is somehow related to national security, that's when things get difficult. You know, that's when you have to go through very burdensome compliance processes. And then uh, it's not, uh, then entering the Chinese market all of a sudden is not an easy task anymore. And I mean, today you have coffee machines that are IoT devices. So I think the The products that require more sophisticated compliance processes are getting more and more. So it's not that you just, you know, put your product in a box, put the CCC label on it, you know, after it's been, your product has been tested at some laboratory in China. You just have to be compliant in the way you handle the data that is generated by uh, the product that you offer. And with, for example, iOS based, um, uh, services as internet of services based services uh, that are increasing uh, that also means that the compliance that um, many companies or the compliance processes that many companies have to engage in are also getting more and more complex right the recommendations that i give i mean you have to look at the what are your competitors doing uh, how do they comply uh, with this uh, what are the implementation uh, practices what are the latest uh, call court rulings on that so but in general you know for many companies the compliance process is is not that difficult it's not uh, such a complicated thing of course when you want to make an ipo i mean this accounts now we're talking about chinese companies that's of course uh, that's not an, an everyday Of course, you have to go through a lot of assessments and
0: reviews. So to summarize, what would you say is the most difficult thing for an organization doing business in China?
1: Being compliant is a big challenge. And at least that's what many foreign companies that are actually operating in China are saying. There are surveys being made every year by the US-China Business Council, by the German Chamber of Commerce, and they put regulatory issues on the top of the list of uh, their uh, challenges, including intellectual property rights enforcement, cybersecurity protection, data flow barriers, market access barriers and licenses and and approvals. But there are also a lot of challenges beyond uh, cyber regulation, for example. I think what is really important is that you differentiate your product from competitors it's also always for example by a service oriented strategy or by uh, offering high uh, quality uh, standards or by making your uh, giving detailed proofs of compliance you just need to make sure that your product cannot be too easily compared to a chinese competitor who might have some advantages because his supply chain is all within China because he only operates under Chinese jurisdiction. So being different is very important and also emphasizing continuous product and service innovation. I think this continuous service and product innovation is important in, in countries um, yeah, where you have deficiencies in, in intellectual property rights protection, such as China. Another thing is that you really have to emphasize on fully taking advantage of this enormous growth potential that the Chinese market offers. You know, usually when I I talk to such businesses, they say, well, our product is good, so it's going to kind of grow by itself and we're going to kind of conquer the market because we offer such a great product. But when you, for example, look at at Huawei, how they uh, managed to grow so big in such a short amount of time, this was by following certain organizational, uh, a certain organizational design, with where you had two managers on top of each uh, subsidiary, uh, where one manager was um, being responsible for the day-to-day operations, and the other manager only focused on on growth. So you sort of have to implement this. Yeah, your goals. I mean, if your your goal is to grow, you have to. Um, Also, this must be reflected in the way you organize your your company. And I think that's where there are a lot of shortcomings. You know, people just, or especially um, Western companies, they think we're going to develop a great product, and then we're going to protect it by applying for a patent, and then we're going to conquer the market. And in in China, it doesn't really work that way. You have to have an idea of how you generate 100% growth a year. And uh, if you really want to, um, you know, when you offer a high-tech product, you, you usually, yeah, you have uh, great, uh, you just have enormous growth potential, but to really um, make that growth, that's some, a challenge that uh, most Western companies uh, fail uh, to achieve, you know. Yeah. And another thing is maybe to know your customers, you know, Chinese customers, they have their characteristics. I would con- consider them as hyper adapt- adaptive and hyper adoptive. Uh, they are used to change. They really uh, are willing to, to apply the latest uh, technologies. For example, for example, in the payment sector, digital payments that has been not that hasn't been invented in China, but the Chinese apply it on on a really large scale. And I think that you know innovation is always to think about you know something new and to to maybe invent something. But I think uh, an important part of innovation is also applying this innovation. I think the Chinese customers are really strong there, and they give you a lot of. Uh, opportunity there to, you know, to, yeah, to to grow as a company. And um, I would say knowing your customer or the characteristics of Chinese customers, that's also an important thing outside of being regulatory compliant.
0: So you've written that book, which is obviously, I believe, super helpful for businesses to start understanding what this is all about. I understand you're also helping companies to to go through that process. Is that correct? You're also acting as a consultant.
1: I give cybersecurity compliance advice and I mainly focus on export uh, certifications for IT products and machine building products that are being exported uh, to China. So I'm more uh, focusing on, on companies uh, that are exporting.
0: So... This is super interesting. I think we'll do another podcast about maybe some of the details, because as you said, this is such a big field. We could keep on talking for hours. Um, But for now, um, if people want to know more, get in touch with you, maybe see where you can either directly help them or, you know, just get more information about the book. How can they best get in touch with you?
1: Well, the book is available on Amazon and Apple Books. On Apple Books, there's only the ebook version, which I highly recommend. And uh, but when you go to Amazon, you can get a hardcover and you can get a, a, a paperback. And if you want to reach me, I have a web page; uh, it's uh, sinopiapress.com, and um, there's an email address, and you can simply get in touch with me that way. Fantastic. Michael,
0: thank you so much for talking with me. This was super interesting. Um, And I look very forward to um, doing another podcast with you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me, Marcel. Thank you so much to Michael for chatting with me. We'll follow soon with a set of episodes where we dive into the different aspects of the Chinese cyber regulation. So watch this space. Until then, have a nice day. Just as a reminder, the book we spoke about is Chinese Industry 4.0 by Michael De Frick published by Sinopier Press and the website where you can get in touch with Michael and also take a look at the book is sinopress.com that's s i n o p e r press.com and the book is available on Apple Books and Amazon as ebook and print version That's it for today's episode. For further details, have a look at the show notes in your podcast player or on theburnup.com. If lean and agile are interesting to you, you may also want to pop by my blog at thedigitalbusinessanalyst.com. I'm very interested in your feedback and ideas and happy to discuss interesting opportunities from consulting to coaching to getting involved in actual projects. For inquiries, please visit theburnup.com. This podcast is produced by Burnup Media Limited under a creative commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivatives 4.0 license. Which means you can share it as long as you give credit, but you cannot change it or make money of it. Until next time, thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.